As we look at the gospel according to to John this morning, we're going to consider uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 2. After we pray, we will read the text, then we'll make some observations along the way. So let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning, dependent upon your Holy Spirit, to illuminate our minds by grace and to enable our spirits to will and to do of your good pleasure, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us by the scriptures that we might know the mind of God. We ask this morning that you would have your way in us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So let us read John chapter 2, the first 11 verses. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with wine, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted it, the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone who ser serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. So our message this morning, at first blush, is really simple. Jesus and his mother and some of the disciples are invited guests at a wedding. And the wine runs out and Jesus turns water into wine in a miraculous display. The wedding in its Jewish context would have some similarities to weddings in our culture, you know, as the host would frantically want to prepare for their guests and to ask these questions. Do we have enough room? Is there enough food? Is there enough drink? And in the Jewish uh, culture, these wedding preparations are up to the groom and his family. Sorry that that's not true for you, Linda and John, as you guys prepare. But as we look at our text this morning... We're going to see the miracle performed by Jesus and that this miracle, hopefully we will see this, that this miracle will answer three main questions for us. First one is, who is Jesus? Secondly, what is the ultimate aim of Jesus' earthly ministry? And what should drive the aim of the Christian as we await the consummation of our salvation? Those three questions we should answer. What is the ultimate aim of Jesus' earthly ministry? I didn't have this in my notes this morning, but as we prayed together uh, this morning, we're going to see in this text that something I didn't see in the aim of, of Jesus talking about the model prayer in Matthew. In the model prayer in Matthew, it begins with the two things Jesus is about to show us in this passage. It begins with the glory of God as primary and the will of God also. Those two things going hand in hand. 
the glory of God and the will of God. Because he says, as he opens, you know, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done, right? It is Jesus' aim in his ministry, in his earthly life is this. The glory of God and accomplishing the will of the Father. When we think about the aim of the Christian, it is about the glory of God, ought to be. The Westminster Larger Catechism asks and answers this question. What is the chief and the highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. As the ministry of Jesus unfolds in the Gospel of John, we will see that every action, every sign, every healing, and every teaching of Jesus is a foreshadow of the glory of God that is about to be revealed. This section we begin today in chapter 2 is part of a larger section that ends in chapter 12 as Jesus performs works that point toward the glory of the cross and the resurrection. A subset of these larger section is chapters 2 through 4 where we see uh, references paired to Jesus' ministry in Cana. So we're going to see these miracles in Cana as they unfold uh, in chapters 2 through 4. So we're going to dive in this morning and look at first the first five verses. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. So when we look at these scriptures, we don't get to know who the bride is. We don't get to know who the groom is. We don't even get to know why Jesus, his disciples, or his mother were even invited guests to this wedding. Speculation is, of course, that Nathaniel uh, was from Cana, as John uh, points to us in chapter 21, that maybe him being from Cana invited the disciples and, and Jesus and his mother. Mary's concern in this text uh, may suggest that she had some role in the wedding celebration, some role in the planning of what was going on. At any rate, here we are. We're at this opening scene. And in this opening scene, Jesus is a guest at a wedding. Well, I thought about this this week as Jesus is a guest at a wedding And I asked myself this, and I hope you would ask yourself this this morning. What areas in your life have you and I left Jesus off the guest list? Is Jesus fully invited into our marriages? Is Jesus invited fully into raising our kids? This one hit my heart as well. Is Jesus invited to our social interactions on social media? Is Jesus invited when we must confront a wrong that's been done to us? Is Jesus invited to the places that we go when there's no one else around? That's the first thing. Is Jesus invited? Well, Jesus is an invited guest here. In verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So here, Mary approaches Jesus as his mother. 
And she says to him, there's a problem, Jesus. They have no wine. As if to say, Jesus, you know that the host will be ashamed and embarrassed, Jesus. Son, do something. When Jesus is invited to our life, his purposes are greater than our earthly expectation. So listen to what Jesus, how he responds to his mother Mary in verse 4. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus has a firm yet gentle rebuke of Mary. And his rebuke is as a woman. As a woman in need of surrender to the will of the Father and not that of his earthly mother. Jesus would say, woman, do you need to be reminded of how I came to you? how I was conceived of in the Holy Spirit? Need I remind you that my purpose is to be about the Father's business? What he's saying to Mary here is, woman, you must know me the same as anyone else who is to be saved. You must see me as the Christ. You must believe that I am the Son of God. She comes as a mother asking this request. And Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. What does this have to do with me? What do these earthly matters have to do with me? You need to approach me as the Christ, as the son of the living God. No longer your son, I am the Savior. This is not as harsh as some people might think. It's a harsh rebuke. Saying, woman. No, he's gently saying, dear woman. For salvation, you must see me as the Christ. You must see me as the son of the living God. You must see who I really am. You must see me not as your son, but as the Christ, just as anyone else who might be saved. I'm no mere son, he says. I'm no mere son. And the hour of my glory is not yet. And in surrender to Jesus... Listen to what she says in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. The perfectly submitted Jesus calls on us to submit to the will and the timing of the Father. And his mother here responds as a disciple. As a disciple of Jesus, one who believes that he is the Christ, no longer just a mere son, but the son of the living God. She says, do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Jesus' earthly ministry and his purpose is always looking forward, isn't it? As we read in all of the scriptures and we see the early part of Jesus' ministry, it's always pointing forward. And then even after his death and resurrection, he's pointing forward. As he speaks about the future, he's always pointing us in a forward direction. Jesus says, I am here. Jesus says, I'm here and I'm here for an hour that has yet to be determined by the Father. I'm here for an hour that has not yet come. I'm here to will and do of his good pleasure to bring me to that hour. The hour is important. It's essential. It's central. 
The hour he's, he's talking about is, is central for you and for me. He thought the hour very important. And he emphasizes it. My hour has not yet come. That hour is the most important hour. My purpose, Jesus says, on earth is defined by the hour that the Father has determined. The will of the Father will be manifested in that hour, Jesus is saying. In that hour, my Father and I will be fully glorified. My purpose is to manifest glory. I came to save sinners to the glory of the Father. The hour is coming when I will pay the penalty for sin. The pinnacle of glory is the cross. My hour has not yet come, but the hour is coming. The hour of glory is coming. This is his proclamation here to his mother. If we look at chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Look at those for just a moment. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Flip ahead with me to chapter 12. In chapter 12, let's look at uh, verses 27 and 28. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. It's as if Jesus is saying here to his mother Mary, it is for this hour that I serve my father. What in the world does a wine shortage have to do with me? It has nothing to do with the hour and the purpose that I came for. And now let us look at verses 6 of chapter 2 through uh, the first part of verse 9. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Here's the first sign of glory being manifest. The recording of this sign fits with the aim of the apostles' aim in this gospel. It is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you would have life in his name. The sign here and the signs uh, that follow point to the reality that in Jesus, the new has come. In Jesus, the new has come. Here, the old and temporary purification is temporary, and it is transformed into the permanent cleansing in Jesus' shed blood. He is, he is making a transformation. He is transforming these rites of purification into the overflowing purification that lasts forever in his blood, this transfer of water into wine. And it points us forward to the next time in, in chapter 2, verse uh, 19, when Jesus answered them and said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
which is the old temple is gone and there's going to be a new temple. And I am the new and permanent temple. And here, there's this water, this old way of purification. These waters were used in, in a ceremonial sense, right? But he's saying, here's something that is permanent. More than just cer ceremony, I am the substance. I am the thing. This is a temporary thing, and I am the substance. And the old earthly temple will be destroyed, but the new temple in the body of Jesus will be the temple that will rise again and live forever. In chapter 3, Jesus teaches us that there will be a new birth for dead souls, resulting in a new and lasting recreation. In chapter 4, we see that Jacob's well will dry up, but that in Jesus, there's a new and living way where water will overflow, a new and living kind of water that lasts forever. The temporary becoming permanent. Further, in chapter 4, John will show that the old place of worship in Gerizim and Jerusalem is replaced with worship that is in Jesus, is in spirit and in truth, that this is a new worship of God, that the old has passed away. As he takes these, this water of purification and transforms it into wine, he's saying, behold, the new has come. What was temporary, I have made permanent. What was partial, I have made, I am going to make complete, right, in the hour that is about to come. And for the Apostle John, these signs, they serve to answer that question that I asked at the beginning. Who is Jesus? The signs affirm one or more of the attributes that we saw from our introduction uh, to Jesus in chapters one, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, right? These signs serve... To answer that question, who is Jesus? I want to read chapter 1, verse 18. And we'll see what these signs teach us about who Jesus is. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made Him known. These signs make God known. This is who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one who exceeds our earthly expectations. Jesus exceeded Mary's expectations. They're out of wine. I don't know that she is saying, perform a miracle and turn water into wine. She's just letting Jesus know that they are out of wine and this is going to be an embarrassment to the bridegroom. Jesus, they need your help. Exceeding expectations... He turns water into wine and in great abundance, right? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who exceeds our earthly expectations. Jesus is the manifestation of the glory of God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the word made flesh. Who is Jesus? He is the creator God who from the beginning has power over the created material world. So what we see in this text, don't we? Who is Jesus? He's the God who created both water and wine. Both of God's creations, water and wine, would help, would, would manifest the glory of God, wouldn't they? His creation manifests His glory, right? And Jesus has power over both of them. He has power to transform what God has created. A greater miracle 
than this water turned into wine is the miracle of the human heart. It's a miracle of the transformation that Jesus does in the human heart. Water he turned into wine. He is the master of creation, but he is the master of souls. He is those who can take dead people and bring them to life. He is the one who can take those who are in darkness and make them see the light. He is those who have unbelieving hard hearts and make them believe. He's the, the one who, who takes the, the blind-eyed person and makes them see. He makes the one who has deaf ears open up and be able to hear the word of God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the creator God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the God of never-ending resources filled to the brim with wine, filled to overflow. Filled to overflow. This is the life Jesus gives to those who believe. Jesus has all of the resources. He is never going to run out. His love and His saving work will never end. See, this water purification only lasted for a brief time until the next time He needed to be ceremonially clean. And then He had to wash again. But Jesus shed blood is permanent. It is that which overflows in the life of those whom he has given life to. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who says, Behold, I am making all things new. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who makes the ceremonial permanent. The cleansing that was symbolic in the water is made permanent by Jesus' shed blood. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who replaces the shadows of the scriptures and transforms them to substance. The shadows of the scriptures are there, but Jesus says, declares, I am the substance of the shadows. Who is Jesus? He is the one through whom transformation takes place. Water he turned into wine. Dead, or, dead sinners he makes alive to God. A people who were once alienated from the promises of God and were not a people at all, in them he fulfills and in them, he makes them a people that are for his very own. Now, we're going to see that Jesus is discriminant. There's, he is discriminant in his revelation. And we'll see this in this passage. So, the master of the feast he called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Jesus manifests his glory and the glory of God discriminately. He discriminates. This might come as a shock. It might make you upset to know that Jesus is discriminant in who he reveals the glory of God to. But Jesus is discriminant. The master of the feast knows not the sign nor the glory behind the sign. The servants know the sign, but not the glory behind the sign. The master of the feast gives glory to the bridegroom. He sees wine in abundance and he gives glory to the bridegroom. You see, 
Not everyone will see the glory behind the signs. The master of the feast, he gives glory and not to the source of glory. Mary knew Jesus as her son. And upon Jesus' rebuke, she came to see him as the Christ, the glory of God. It was revealed to Mary. Mary saw. Some people go their whole lives feasting on the benefits of Christ and never participating in his glory. Some people go their whole lives just feasting on the benefits of Christ. Feasting on the benefits of church fellowship and never seeing the glory behind it. They see the sign of it and they like the sign of it. They like the transforming work of Christ in others as they become friends with Christians, but they've never participated and never uh, seen the glory of God. Some are forever learning of Christ, but never come to a knowledge of the truth. Some attend worship services regularly. They partake of the Lord's Supper regularly. They've participated in baptism. They read their Bible. And yet they only know the signs of glory and not the person of glory in Jesus. Are there areas in your own life and in mine where we go through the motions of faithful Christian, Christian living without perceiving the glory behind our religion? We do all those practices and don't see the glory behind it. We just really have religion, don't we? We don't have faith. And personal examination is good for us. It is good for us to take a little personal examination right now and to ask ourselves whether we really be in the faith. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know his glory? Or do you know about him? Do you just merely know about Jesus? Do you know things about him? Do you know things about the word of God? But do you know the glory of God in the person of Jesus? It is good for us to examine that and ask ourselves, are we in the faith? Have we beheld the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Or to ask ourselves this, are we just basking in the shadows? Are we just basking in the shadows of who Jesus is? Or are we experiencing and beholding the glory of God in all that Christ has done? John Piper says this often, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Jesus is the object. Are we satisfied in all that God is for us in Christ Jesus? Well, the big question to ask is, how can we know Him? How can we know Jesus? How can we know Him? How can we know the glory of God? This is the first signs of Jesus that He did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed Him. Here in our text, we see that God sovereignly reveals the sign to many, but it's to a few that he reveals the glory behind the sign. To the disciples, Jesus makes manifest the glory of God behind the sign. How can we know him? Well, we are dependent, aren't we, on a special revelation 
of God. We need a special revelation from God through his word and by his spirit. After the apostolic age, these signs went with them. But today, but today we have the spirit-filled word of God given to us. The word of God, when it is received as it is, is the very word of God. The word of God is the spirit revealed truth that is able to bring grace by grace to bring about saving faith that beholds the glory of God in life and in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To see the glory behind the signs, we are dependent upon a special revelation and we are dependent upon God's gift of his spirit to discern the truth, the truth of Christ that brings life to those who believe. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God who calls people to himself, who reveals himself to his people and makes them willing to believe and to trust in him. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who makes God known. Who is Jesus? Jesus is no mere wedding guest, friends. But Jesus is the bridegroom who lays down his life for his bride, the church. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the bridegroom who prepares and adorns his bride, the church, and makes her ready for the consummation of their salvation. Jesus is not a guest at this future wedding. In Cana, Jesus was an invited guest. In heaven, Jesus is the bridegroom. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. A, a fairly familiar passage to us, I think. But I want to read uh, with you this morning verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb, my friends, is by invitation only. The future marriage supper of the Lamb is by invitation only. And you must be invited by the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Who will be invited? Who will be invited? I think it's those who in longing for the great hour of their redemption, live for that hour now. Those who will be invited to the celebration, to the marriage supper of the Lamb, are those who live for the glory of God now. Those who live according to the will of God now. They live for that hour. Invited to those who live to display the glory of God in Christ's death and resurrection by faith in this life now, 
Invited are those who desire God's glory above all other earthly treasures. Invited are those whose garments are made clean by the shed blood of Jesus Christ through faith that was given to them as a gift. I invite you today to behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. I invite you today to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit for Him, Jesus, and His glory to be revealed to you. And that today, if you will repent and believe, guess what? It means that you have beheld just a glimpse of the glory of God. You've beheld a glimpse of His glory. You've built a glimpse of the glory of God that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to end with this thought for all of us to ponder uh, this week. Are we living for the glory of God as our first priority? Is the will of God for us the trajectory and the aim of our lives? And ponder this. Will we be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? And lastly, this is a great question. This is one I'm going to ponder myself Deeply, does my life reflect that I'm being adorned for such an event? Does my life reflect that Jesus, that by the Holy Spirit, I am being adorned for this event, for this invitation to this wedding, to this marriage supper? Let us take a moment of silence to reflect on God's word. And Father God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your grace. I ask, Lord, that you would enable us by the power of your grace and your Holy Spirit to live according to the words of the text of Scripture that we heard this morning, that we would behold the glory of Jesus Christ and his atoning death for us, that we would be those who are longing for the future glory of, of being invited to this marriage supper where our, our salvation is consummated, where it is made complete. Lord, we ask that you would have your way in us, in adorning us for such a time as that, Lord, for that hour. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.